Hi, this is Miley Danny. I play for NIFHG in Denmark. I've participated in various youth national team tournaments where I've won a silver and two bronze medals. You're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Source Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Neil Wallace-Bruce, and I'm joined by the venerable Mr. Kobe Rond, a.k.a. Kobe. How you doing, Kobe? Fantastic, buddy. I'm doing fantastic. It's summertime, so I'm loving it. Indeed, it's the sun's out, and it's been a busy summertime. In fact, we just saw the end of the, the Euro 2022, and England brought it home. We also had the end of the CONCACAF Women's Championship. It's been, a, it's been a summer of soccer. So who better to talk about that than Jessa Braun, writer for Just Women's Sports. She is the authority on many things round bowl, and she's going to tell us about that and more. Jessa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. And you're based in Ontario, is that right? Yes, I am kind of near Toronto, about like, yeah, an hour away from Toronto. Fantastic. So there must be a story behind that because you're based in Toronto, but you get, you're lucky enough to cover the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL. So tell us how you got into that. Yeah, I don't know. I think I got pretty lucky, honestly. Like I last year I was doing a graduate certificate. I was actually in Toronto doing my school for a year uh, for sports journalism, and it was just a year-long program from January to December, but the last four months, September to December, were uh, reserved for an internship. So I went into this program knowing I wanted to cover women's sports, uh, and so when it came time to apply for internships, I knew Just Women's Sports was somewhere that I would really enjoy being at, because obviously it's Just Women's Sports. Um, They had no position open I just kind of like emailed them out of the blue and was like hey like I'm in this sports journalism program I need an internship in the fall do you have anything available and they emailed me back that day and they're like yeah let's jump on a call and chat about it and then they asked me if I wanted to write about the NWSL and I was like that sounds amazing so yeah that's how that kind of started and then um, I did my internship with them and then they invited me to stay on for this year to cover the NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team. And obviously, how could I say no to that? Because I grew up playing soccer, so I love soccer, and I love watching soccer. So it was a perfect fit. Fantastic. Now, as someone who's based in Canada, you cover the U.S. Women's National Team. Were you conflicted when the U.S. and Canada faced off in the recent CONCACAF final down in Mexico? Um... <laughs> I mean, I'm not supposed to be biased, but yeah, I was pretty conflicted because, <laughs> I mean, obviously I'll always be a Canadian fan being being from Canada. That's just, it's in my blood to cheer for them. So yeah, I, I 
I'll admit I was cheering for Canada in that game. Um, but I think the funny thing was that I actually didn't even have to cover that one because admittedly I was on vacation <laughs> that day because I had booked a trip with my friends before I had been hired on with Just Women's Sports. Um, so I was I was not having to work, but I did watch the game and I was on my feet the whole time screaming at the TV and afterwards I was like it was a great thing that I did not have to actually like report on this game because it would have been it, I think it would have been pretty hard <laughs> for me to do that because yeah it was definitely a whirlwind of emotions with the uh, US winning off of one penalty kick it was so close indeed and in the last two games that the two nations have played the games have separately been decided by a penalty kick. So the the semi-final in the Olympics in Tokyo and then this recent matchup in Monterey. Would you say that the gap is closing between Canada and the US? Um, you know what? I do think that Canada is becoming a very strong team. They've always been strong, but like the US has just been an incredible team for decades. So I think I definitely, I definitely do think that the gap is closing, and I think, I think Canada did have a lot of potential to to win that game a couple weeks ago at Concacaf. However, I do think that the U.S. is still incredibly strong. Like their attack is just crazy. Like there were so many chances in that game mm-hmm. where it was just absurd that the U.S. like missed those chances. Like there were so many shots that could have so easily gone in the net. So I think it was it was kind of lucky that Canada came away with a one nothing goal differential in that game, but uh overall I do I do believe the gap is closing. I think Canada's got very strong pool of players. All right, there we go. We're going to come back to that. Yeah, I think the gap is closing across the board. I think a number of European teams are bridging the gap now as well to where the women's game has become a much more competitive game overall. Would you say that's the case? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited. The U.S. is playing England in October, and I'm, I'm really excited to see that game because obviously England just won the Euro Cup, and I think it will it will be a real test to see, like, how much the gap has even closed between those two teams because obviously that was the first major t- um, tournament for that England one the women's team. So, yeah, I think it'll definitely be awesome to see like the World Cup next year because I I do agree that like the gap is just closing across the world and I think it would be I don't know, it'll be really fun to 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 feel like the US isn't guaranteed to win. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Now, you attended Laurier Brantford University? Yes, I did. Yep, a wee little wee little place. <laughs> is that affiliated with Wilfrid Laurier? No. Uh yes it is. Yeah, it's uh it's a sister campus in Brantford, Ontario, and it's about uh I don't know what the size is now, maybe like 4000 students, so it's it's very small. Okay, does that make you a golden hawk? Yes. <laughs> okay, so officially. All right. And you you majored in community health there? Yeah, I did. So how do you go from that to sports journalism? <laughs> um yeah, that's a that's a good question cuz I did I went to Laurier Brantford for journalism. Like I went there, 
played soccer my whole life and I did want to play university soccer. But then in university, I realized that journalism was something that I wanted to prioritize. And Laurie Brantford didn't have a soccer team, but they had the journalism program I wanted. So I went to Laurie Brantford and when I got there in my first year, it ended up not being the best fit for me at the time. Um, I had professors that were telling my classes that like journalism wasn't the path that we should be taking and that this industry was dying and that scared me and so I switched out of the program. Looking back, I wish I had like just like stood my ground and just gone through with it because I really did enjoy journalism but in the end my professors just like scared me off and I switched into community health because healthcare seemed to be a pretty steady field to work in. And I completed my degree in that. And then after school, like I worked for the school paper the whole way through my undergrad. And I think in doing that, I realized that sports journalism was definitely like the path I wanted to take, even if it would be hard to find a job or whatever my professors were trying to tell us. So then that's why I applied to Centennial College for sports journalism and got my internship. And now here I am. Okay, so was there argument uh, against journalism having to do with the emergence of social media and the impact it has, or what? Like, how is it the the professors in a program were telling you not to do it? Yeah, no, that's that's also a good question because um, I think it. Yeah, I think it is kind of the rise of social media because now news and everything is just it's so accessible. It's People are putting it out. It's like you don't have to pay for it, really. Like you can find news that you don't have to pay for. Um, and it just it hurts the income and revenue for journalism organizations because it's it's hard to hard to make a living when there's not a lot of money going into the work. So I think they were just I might have had a lot of like old school thinking professors who just because print journalism was dying mm -hmm. they categorized that as like the whole industry is dying and it took me a few years to realize that that is not true and that the industry is just changing it's not dying it's just changing um and there just needs to be more adapting to how journalism is bringing in that revenue so once i realized that i felt more um secure going into uh, journalism again and I also I do think like the landscape is very different in Canada I've realized like there's not and they say like it's really competitive like working in media and stuff but I've found that that's I don't know I feel like it's more competitive this is just a theory I have but I feel like it's more competitive in Canada because there's not as many media outlets like in the states they have they have so many teams and they have their D1 sports that brings in a lot. And mm -hmm. I mean, like in Canada, we don't have a lot of jobs within university sports. And um, we, our biggest media companies are Sportsnet and TSN. And we only have like a few professional teams. So there's not as many opportunities. But I think like when you expand to the States, like, and people are willing to move down there and have jobs down there, then it really, it really increases the options for sports journalists. So how much of what you do is remote? Everything. Yeah. So it's practically all online and you're reporting by by watching basically on like some sort of media outlet. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I most of the games that I watch are covered by watching on my broadcast on my laptop and all my interviews are done over Zoom and the phone. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely think 
Like a lot of people are really advocating for working from home, which I absolutely support. I think that it is a good fit for a lot of people. For me, I sometimes feel really isolated because I'm pretty extroverted. So I like to work alone <laughs> at home all the time is kind of lonely. But um, there's also perks too, like rolling out of bed and just being at work right away. <laughs> of course, of course. Me? Yeah. Yeah, you got to love that, being able to roll out of bed, turn on the turn on the computer, get your tea, get your coffee, and get, get right into it. There's no commuting. Sometimes I don't even roll out of bed. I just stay in bed and write. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Working from bed. Working from yeah, bed. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's the life. Especially in the wintertime because we know that Canadian winter doesn't play. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm, like, already anxious that it's August because I'm like, oh, no, that means, like, fall's just around the corner, which means that winter's coming. It's a stressful time. Winter is coming, but also that means that the European club season is coming. So yes, it's okay. that's true. Yeah. That will get us through. Now, now, Jesse, you said you were a player yourself. Where, where were you located on the pitch when you were playing? Oh, I played everywhere. I started as... I started as an outside mid um, when I was when I was young, and then I moved to like as soon as I started playing like rep travel, I was a left fullback for a little bit, and then I moved up to the number six, and I was number six, and I think that's still kind of what I identify as. That's like where my heart will always be. But moving forward, I kind of like flip flopped between the six and the ten. So center midfield now is kind of what I've developed into, I guess. <laughs> Okay, so you're pulling the strings. You're calling the shots. There we <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah, no, I like it. Is there a player that you you molded your style on when you played? Hmm. I would say, like, it's interesting growing up as a female soccer player because I didn't really, like, have the exposure to watch. Like, I mean, I watched men's sports, but I didn't really identify with it in the same way that, I guess guys could mm -hmm. it, it was just a different style of playing and I just couldn't see myself being them <laughs> um so I really looked up to like other teammates and players that I played with or played against and I would notice things about their game that I really liked like um the way they I don't know the way they dribbled or the kinds of passes or distribution that they would make like I would take note of what the good players on my team were doing and I would kind of put those pieces together to kind of create my own style and build on that so that's why I think it's really important to have exposure um, to women's sports and really increase that coverage absolutely if you see it you can be it yeah exactly <laughs> there we go now in, in, in staying in that vein when are we going to see a Toronto based NWSL team are we going to see a Toronto based team or are we going to see more of a Canadian centric women's professional soccer league which which is more likely in your opinion oh i love talking about this um more likely i feel like a toronto nwsl team would probably develop faster well like it would come into existence quicker than an entire league would although with that being said like i don't really know what's happened behind the scenes with the league i think they're kind of in like the talking stages right now still so I, if I had to guess, it would be an NWSL team first, but I think eventually we're going to have both, which will be great because I think it is important to have both. Mm -hmm. For sure, especially for not just development, but even 
the, the talent pool just for mm-hmm. the Canadian the the pathway from grassroots to to wearing the the maple leaf the red and white uh just having that talent pool is important yeah exactly I think it would be really great if like Canadian university athletes if we had a if we had a professional league like that could be an option for them to play after school and I think it's it would be really important if they knew that they had that option to go professional because I don't think a lot of student athletes really know that they can that there's lots of leagues that they can go to overseas I don't think that's really a common I don't know a common path to take that's a good point one of our guests came on the show Maya Ladani she was at University of West Virginia she's oh. now she went to Denmark initially mm-hmm. I believe she's she's in Europe elsewhere now but yes she did touch on that point that it is the less tread path uh, for Canadian women's players to, mm-hmm. to go to, to different leagues so that is interesting that you echo those thoughts yeah something I wanted to touch on and get your opinion on it but a player like Christine Sinclair mm-hmm. who has pretty much eclipsed the sport right she's really its greatest star yeah do you think Canadian soccer and even FIFA does enough to highlight a player like that in the women's game? Um, no, I feel like they haven't done enough. <laughs> uh, I think even our own, our own country doesn't even do enough. I don't know. I think it it's proven by the fact that like many, many men's soccer fans all over the world don't even know who she is like they don't know her name and mm-hmm. like I get that all the time like I have a, a TikTok where I deliver news about the NWSL and I made one about Christine Sinclair one time and so many of the comments were just so many guys just saying like they didn't even know who she was and I'm like we are literally failing the world of soccer if <laughs> these supposed football fans don't even know who Sinclair is like that just goes to show that there is not enough, I don't know, publicity from organizations like FIFA to really educate people on who this superstar is. <laughs> I fully agree with you. And I think it's also shameful that Canadian sports in itself doesn't highlight her enough because I think Nick can even agree with this. In our conversations with a number of people involved in the soccer world, whether it be media, players themselves, what have you, I've found that there are more Americans involved in soccer who know who Christine Sinclair is than actual Canadians. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a yeah to me it's egregious because she holds the world record uh, across men and women. Yeah, uh, she has the most goals in in football. Yeah, that there's a medal that's designed that's made for her. Like she's the only one to yeah. have it. Come on, right? But at the same time, it's like yeah, sh- her name kind of goes. No, no, let me, let me, no, let me put this, let me localize this. If this was hockey, she would have had a statue. Like, if she had the most goals in hockey, men mm-hmm. or women in the world, yeah. she'd have a statue, she'd have an arena, she'd probably have other accolades, but for whatever reason, it gets glossed over. This episode is brought to you by Sports Interaction, Canada's most trusted sports book with betting options available from every sport you can imagine. From futures and moneyline betting to real-time live betting during games, Sports Interaction offers its customers the most competitive odds in Canada. So head on over to our website and sign up today, as Sports Interaction also has a nice deposit bonus if 
click on the link. It's available in every province, from coast to coast. And now back to the show. Yeah, a statue. That's exactly what we need. <laughs> like, that is such a good point. Yeah. Or like, I don't know, even, yeah, more things named after her. Because I think, what, Canada Soccer made like a little video or something after she <laughs> broke the record and then <laughs> were quiet after that. I was like, oh my gosh. But, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Canada, the US and England are interesting because, okay, the US have been doing it for years, but England and Canada in the last 12 to 18 months have gone into this new realm where the women are more successful than the men. And mm-hmm. and, and now that that's a thing. Like mm-hmm. we're going to be pointing out continually that no, the women are more successful than the men. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's see if the, the funding reflects that going forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like the women do bring in more revenue than the men too. Like, which is why they deserve to be, to get good pay is because like, it's not even that they're, they're successful it's that they're literally breaking in more money <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah, i guess that's another reason why we need to see that professional league uh as as good as it is to see canadians shining in in the colors of lyon barcelona and then in, in the end of it so with portland and gotham and all these other teams i think it's high time that there is a a local league where Players can stay home if they choose after college mm-hmm. and they can thrive and get the next generation inspired that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it would be a good feeder system for Canadians into the NWSL as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Which we need. Because I think there's only, I forget the exact number, but something like 11 or 12 Canadians in the NWSL right now. And that's not very many <laughs> out of like 200 and some players. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. So, Jessa, what's been your take on the summer of soccer? It's been a busy summer of soccer. I know the NWSL is still going on, but we've had a multitude of tournaments going on as teams try to get to the World Cup next year in Australia and New Zealand. What's been your takeaways from this packed summer so far? Oh, my takeaways. I think what we were talking about before, just like there's just so much talent out there now and I'm just really excited for I don't know what women's soccer is developing into and just like the the level of talent and competitiveness that we're gonna see at the FIFA Women's World Cup I mean it's like the talent's always been there but I think just like I don't know there's just I just hope that by next year there's like more funding and I don't know there's just more opportunities for them to display their talent and I think also with like the US women's national team changing I think that also uh will be really awesome to see them against all these great teams and see how they do um playing against all this talent which will be I don't know I'm just yeah I'm excited for what the future holds I guess I guess to uh take a look back at the year that has been with the Euro, I guess with Tokyo as well, and also with Barcelona's dominance on the field and also their dominance with attendances as they had, I believe, the two highest attended games in Europe, period, mm-hmm. this last season just gone. Would you say this has been a breakout year for women's football? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's interesting because I think, like, 
Like, there was that game in 1971 between, I think it was Mexico and Denmark, that had an estimated, like, 110,000 fans, which always, I don't know, I feel like that game always gets glossed over, and mm. I think that was, like, that could have been, that could have been a breakout, but, like, organizations and federations did not capitalize on that interest in the game, and so, yeah, I think, like, I think it could have been, we could have had a breakout, like, years ago, um, but... Yeah, I think when it comes down to the support and the funding and everything that women's soccer is getting, I do think that this this has been a monumental year. And I mean, it sucks that it took this much time for people to realize that. But um, yeah, no, I I do think it's it's been a it's been a breakout year, and it's exciting with the World Cup next year for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's a good point you raised because it was only about sixty years ago that England had banned women's football. The FA said. Mm-hmm. For, for a variety of superfluous reasons, <laughs> you're not playing. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess they didn't see the the growth and potential back then. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a great uh, clap back for them to win the Euros, I think, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the statement. <laughs> so something I was going to ask you about, when did you graduate from Centennial College? Um, I finished the program in December. And then my graduation was in June. Okay. So how did you start when you played soccer? Like, where did you begin when you played soccer? Where did I begin? I was five years old playing house league. <laughs> and then, yeah, I started playing competitively when I was nine. And did your parents encourage you to go into it? Or was it something you just had a passion for in the beginning? <laughs> um, I had, well... When I was really little, like when I started when I was five, like I was really scared of being the center of attention. Um, and I, I would not want to touch the ball. I didn't score or anything because I just didn't want people clapping for me. <laughs> and then as soon as I think I scored my first goal, like later that season, my first season. And I remember just like feeling really happy about it. And then I just like loved playing soccer and I developed like this passion for it. And I'm like, this is so fun, like to score goals and stuff. And then. I was called into like the the competitive like development program or whatever for um like the club sock like the travel soccer rep and mm-hmm. that really intimidated me. That's kind of when I kind of lost a bit of passion for it because I was just like the coaches were really intense and I mean I remember like feeling like oh no what if like I'm not good enough kind of thing and I just I got so scared it went back to that feeling when I first started soccer where I was just like I don't know I was just so I was just so nervous about it and I clung I remember I clung to my bedpost and my dad would be trying to like rip me off of the bedpost to go to soccer because I just didn't want to go and I'd be screaming and crying and my dad just like forced me to go to practice and I just really didn't want to go and I think it took like it took a few years of playing rep until I rediscovered my passion because <laughs> I was just, I don't know, I was just scared. I had imposter syndrome, I guess, but um, I think, yeah, no, I, I developed a passion for it by the time I was in my preteen years, I'd say I was really passionate about it. Okay. And where was your regional rep team based out of? Um, Kitchener. Yeah. Out of Kitchener. Kitchener. Okay. Yeah. So did you find that there was a a sizable pool of women's players at the time or was it small? Um, it was, it was very competitive. Yeah. We were, we were ranked fourth in Ontario at one point. Um, so I, there were a lot of players and I think 
yeah, the, the talent definitely was was at a high level, I'd say. Like, there were a lot of really talented players. So, in your opinion, the pool of sort of Canadian women players coming up is larger than the market that's available. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is, like, just seeing how many of them were so passionate. Like, I had so many teammates that were really passionate about soccer in the early stages of when we started playing the sport and just I'd say until maybe the age of like 14, 15 and then and then they would start to kind of lose interest because I don't know it's like high school you kind of get into like I don't know social norms I guess and um, people just kind of lost the passion for the sport so I think that's I don't know I think that's kind of an issue right now is just like holding people's interest in playing and making it a place where they want to spend their time on the soccer field. Okay. And I mean, I know, I know KW's got the heavy German influence. Are you of German descent? Uh, yeah, I don't speak German though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you're getting prepped for Oktoberfest. <laughs> oh yes. I always go to Oktoberfest. <laughs> yes. How could I not? So, yeah. So I'm guessing there's a strong sort of soccer community there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, and it's, I'm not really too involved in the youth program right now. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what the player pool is like at this point, but um, I would say that like, I don't know. I think it's definitely like growing in this area because they've added, I mean, they have like the, the city's soccer club, like Kitchener soccer club. And then they also have Kitchener soccer Academy. Um, and then there's also, yeah, there's the Berlin soccer club. Um, so there's just, there's all these options now to go and play. And I think like, I know Berlin, they're, they're fairly new, but they're really good at recruiting new talent and making players feel wanted. And like, they, they have a home with Berlin and that, I don't know, it's nice to feel wanted. So I think they're really good at recruiting talent to come in and play. So I, I definitely think like, yeah, there's, there's, there's more, yeah, there's more players I think now than when I was a kid, probably. Okay, so before I pass you back to me, we, we have got the the men's the FIFA World Cup coming to North America, coming to Toronto, in fact. Mm-hmm. What do you think needs to be done to not just highlight the men's game, but the women's game while we have the world basically focused on us? Ooh. Oh, that's so good. I haven't even thought about that. Yeah, I think even just having even just having advertisements on I don't know like boards and stuff just of the women's team and like I think like the women's world cup will be a year later so Mm -hmm. I don't know just like highlighting I guess since it's in Canada just highlighting like the Canadian women's team where they can like um putting up banners and especially if they do really well in this upcoming world cup like they have things to brag about like top goal scorer of all time, Christine Sinclair and I don't know, Olympic gold medalists. And if they're do really well in the world cup, then they, they have that to kind of advertise too, because yeah, I think just putting their faces on posters and stuff would actually be better than nothing at all. For sure. <laughs> no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I really hope they do something to highlight the women's side when it comes here. Cause I also think the future of soccer in general or football, however you want to say it, is the North American market. And a big portion of that is a women's game. That's just how I see it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the game has had such a rich history from 
women in North America. Mm-hmm. The most iconic moment for me as a international observer, if you will, is is Brandy Chastain. I I can't yeah. really think of a men's moment that comes close, but maybe one of you can throw one in there. But for me, it's Brandy. Brandy Chastain is the most iconic moment in North American football history. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, that was that was pretty sick. I think that was great. And Chloe Kelly doing the same thing at the Euros. <laughs> there we go. There we go. There's a trend. <laughs> there was a symmetry there. So maybe Sam Kerr will do the same next year. Oh, I yeah. can dream. I, let me. Yes. <laughs> but Jessup, with the end of your soul, starting to get towards the business end of the season, getting towards the playoffs, what can we look out for as the season winds down and gets to the exciting stages? Oh, well, I think the the playoff race is just so tight right now. Like, it's so hard to say which teams are going to make it into the knockout stage. And I think Kansas City current has been a really exciting team to watch. Like, for anyone who's looking to to watch a couple NWSL games who doesn't have a team that they're cheering for, I think Kansas City current is a really exciting one right now because they're on, what is it, like an eight-game unbeaten streak? I don't know, something crazy like that. And, yeah, so that's that's been interesting because they lost their first four games. Like, they're at the bottom of the standings, and now they're just thriving. So definitely that. And I think OL Reign's a really interesting team because they just have so much talent. Yeah, I don't know. If I had to predict who's going to be in the final, I would probably say, I don't know, my money's on Portland Thorns. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. The strong Canadian contingent out there. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> With with one Christine Sinclair, you may have heard of her. Yeah, but it's not even because of that. It's not because of that. It's just that they're such a consistent team. It's not. My oh, bias. I, I I just thought you were biased. I was gonna I was gonna let it through, but fine. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> they're also good at football. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. No, but give us your thoughts on the the two newer teams in the league, uh, Angel City and also San Diego. Okay, San Diego has just, like, blown my expectations out of the water. They have been dominating this whole time, and that is really hard for an expansion team to do in this league, so I really give props to them. And I think what stood out to me the most with uh, San Diego is um, Naomi Gurma. She is the number one overall draft pick in the 2022 NWSL draft, and She's a center defender who has just been absolutely incredible, hardly makes mistakes, is just so good at reading the game, is just so smooth with her plays and her passing and her tackles and everything. So she's just been such a fun player to watch on San Diego. On Angel City, I've really appreciated the way that they've kind of like built their organization. They're really involved with the community, which is important to so many players. And I think uh, it's important to have clubs that are really um, carrying the values that that players have because I mean if you're happy off the field you're going to play really good on the field so I think it's important to have clubs that are really uh, conscious about prioritizing players well-being which yeah that stood out to me about Angel City and I think they're they're also a very strong side um, it's hard to say if they'll make the playoffs but I mean they definitely have a good chance at it which is also very impressive as an expansion team so yeah, no, I think they're two very strong sides that are going to do really well in this league. And I also think like California was just such a smart state to expand the league to because there's such a strong fan base down there, which is exactly what this league has 
needed is just like full stadiums, and that's what those teams are bringing. Yeah, you love to see it, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's really good. Not only optically on TV, but also for for the next generation to see mm-hmm. see their heroes in action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there's so much. There's so many youth players in California. Like so much of the U.S. national team that comes from California. So many professional players come from California. Like it is such a soccer hotbed down there. So it's it's important to have that visibility for girls who are hoping to pursue the game someday. There we go. No, we like to see that. Now, Jessa, we can find you on Twitter at Jessa Braun. Do you have any other social media that you'd like to share with our fans? Yeah, I'm actually um, experimenting with bringing, like a lot of journalists are on, on Twitter, obviously, but I'm also experimenting a bit with Instagram and TikTok now because like, they've got like double the amount of NWSL fans on those platforms. So on Instagram, it is at Jessa Braun Sports and the same on TikTok, at Jessa Braun Sports. So. All right. I'll, follow <laughs> I'll give you a follow. Is yeah, 100%. Else you- yeah. Awesome. See where is her any- TikTok game's at. Exactly. <laughs> is, there any- is there anything else you wanted to share with our fans? Um, they're awesome. <laughs> and you guys keep up the great work. Thanks for having me on. This has been really fun. No, awesome to have you on, Jesse. We appreciate that. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.